Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Hi, this is Chris Olmstead. I'm an attorney and shareholder in the San Diego office of Ogletree Deacons, and welcome to the podcast. A topic I've been thinking about lately as we emerge from the pandemic is we've got a large group of people who have been working remotely for going on a year or more, and they've been through a lot. And so I'm getting a lot of calls from clients about the legal technicalities of bringing people back to work and what sort of workplace protocol should be followed. And in the midst of all that discussion, I'm getting a lot of comments and questions about employees who are changed or different. They don't seem to be the same person that the employer remembers them to be from a year ago. And so I'm noting that that's a common theme in a lot of the discussions I'm having with clients. And so I thought for today's podcast, I bring in an expert who has some insights and some thoughts on this very topic, and maybe will help HR professionals, managers, uh, in-house counsel recognize what's going on and perhaps anticipate the issues and have good solutions. Today, I have with us Suzanne Hoffman. Sue, good morning. Good morning, Chris. Thank you for joining me today. Let me say a few words about... Dr. Hoffman. She's a uh, California licensed psychologist, organizational consultant, and trainer who's worked extensively with a variety of private corporations and public entities, consulting in areas of workplace violence prevention, management and organizational development, employee wellness and resilience, and critical incident debriefing. Dr. Hoffman's recognized as a sensitive and effective speaker and expert consultant. She offers practical direction to human resource management professionals and provides pragmatic solutions for dealing with inappropriate, emotionally arranged, and uh, potentially dangerous employees. Her scope of practice also includes individual management coaching and leadership skills training, and she frequently works with executives in both the private and public sector to develop and hone communication skills and problem-solving abilities to maximize organizational effectiveness. Dr. Hoffman holds an undergraduate degree in psychology from San Diego State University and earned both a master's degree and doctorate in clinical psychology from California School of Professional Psychology in San Diego. Again, welcome, Sue, to today's uh, podcast. Thanks, Chris. You heard my little introduction, and I wanted to get some some initial reaction or feedback from you. Is are are you seeing the same thing or hearing the same things I am about this post pandemic transition uh, with workers coming back to the workplace? You know, we really are. We've gotten calls from a lot of our clients about this idea about how do we transition people back into the office. You know, people have been working from home since March 2020, many people uh, in many organizations. And at that time, you know, many of them faced tough choices about the sudden transition to remote work. And we were looking at things like new technology, remote meetings, you know, trying to 
provide support for our employees. And all of that happened within about the last year and a half. But now as we see sort of vaccinations ramping up, businesses are facing new decisions about how and when, you know, employees should be returning to the workplace. So what we're seeing is for some people, remote work was really a welcome change in lifestyle for them, right? That provided, provided independence, a chance to weigh that work that really fit their lifestyle and goals. Um, for some people, it's really, really stressful. You know, they had to stay at home and not only do the jobs in a new kind of way, but they had to take care of families and kids. Um, so lots of folks are going to have sort of mixed feelings about a return to the workplace. And then you pair that with new concerns about safety. And I think it's going to be a complex issue. Yeah, I, I see the same thing. You know, really think about it. We're we're in a, a historic time. I, uh, can you think of a precedent in your career or similar circumstances where employers and employees alike have had to face a similar transition like this one? You know, I really can't think of anything specifically like the pandemic where we as a nation have really faced these kinds of challenges related to a virus. But probably the thing I would I would compare it to that might be the closest is when there maybe has been a trauma in the workplace, a death in the workplace, a tragedy in the workplace, where people have been really forced to look at how they do their jobs, how they come back post-trauma, and how they relate to each other, and also how management uh, relates to their employees and brings them back in an empathic and uh, supportive kind of way. Yeah, that's a good point. One one thing that comes to mind, but is nothing close to the COVID-19 pandemic would be some natural disasters. Mm -hmm. I remember sometimes in recent years where we've had hurricanes or major blizzards or earthquakes or fires that have disrupted the workplace and certainly impacted a community, but nothing to the degree of what we've faced in the last year and certainly nothing that has been so prolonged, right? This has been a year plus where people have gone through this process. Absolutely. And and while we do refer back to some of the protocols we might use in a natural disaster or workplace trauma, it's really unprecedented to have people out uh, and working from home for this period of time. From your professional background, what sorts of issues or emotional impact has this had on many employees who have been maybe away from the workplace for a year, but that, that have now, that now returning? And and again, the comments I'm getting from some of my clients is the people that are coming back are different people from what we remember before the pandemic. What's been going on with a lot of people? Have there been studies to that effect? There have. And in fact, uh, the American Psychological Association conducts a stress in America study really yearly, but they specifically looked at the pandemic in 2020. And that study showed that Americans have really been profoundly affected by this pandemic. Um, and even the external factors that we've listed in previous years as significant sources of stress, financial stress, um, political stress, these things remain present and problematic, but their compounding stressors are really related to what we've had to experience. So we've seen people really report extreme stress and trauma, uh, trauma related to people who've lost friends and families, um, for those who've been infected and really dealt with long-term consequences of the virus uh, and faced long recoveries. We've also seen significant increases in reports of anxiety, depression, uh, and suicidal ideation and suicide attempts. So this has really been sort of what we look at as a national health crisis um, from a mental health perspective. And it, we could be looking at the consequences of this for years to come. I don't want to get into 
too much into clinical issues, but what sort of diagnosed conditions can we expect that there could be a prevalence of because of what people have been through in the last year? You know, I think probably the three I would think about as probably being most significant would be uh, reports of depression and depressive symptoms. Uh, people also reporting higher levels of anxiety uh, and stress and the, the symptoms that go along with that. And the third thing I would look at is really people reporting symptoms of trauma. And by trauma, I mean people really having very significant reactions to uh, what we've experienced in the past year with regard to being locked down, with regard to changes in family structure, uh, even with just regard to going out in the world at this point and the elevated levels of anxiety. Uh, and worry that we have related to that. So I imagine what people have been through in the last year is different than maybe just one isolated but traumatic event, something that, Mm -hmm. that wouldn't, isn't there a difference between a prolonged state of anxiety, uncertainty, depression, isolation, and all that compared to maybe a, you know, an incident that takes place over a day or a couple of days? Absolutely. And when we look at trauma, we really look at two kinds of trauma. We look at what we call acute trauma, which is simply uh, really an event that is very short lived. So it might be something like a car accident uh, or an illness that is short lived or some other kind of significant effect uh, that is really not very long in that person's life. With COVID, with the pandemic, what we look at is what we call chronic trauma. So this is something that is an event that has gone on for a very long period of time. And the really the consequences of that um, can look very, very different. And part of what we can see with people is sort of these higher levels of chronic anxiety, higher levels of chronic uh, reports of depression and stress. So we see the effects sometimes of these events last longer and be more profound than we do in some acute events. So with that in mind, let's turn to the return to the workplace. I've been Mm -hmm. talking to a number of clients in the last month or so about returning people back to the office. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's been a mix. Some people are uh, remaining remote or a blend of remote and in place. But by and large, there's a mass return to the office that's, that's underway. And as that happens, as I mentioned, people are coming back to the office and we haven't maybe interacted with them as much in the last year as we have historically. Um, What might be some of the signs, the symptoms, the things that might be observable about an employee that might give an indication that they're, they're not at their best when they return to the office? You know, that's a great question. And and I think even before we get to that, one thing we might want to look at is what are people going to really be anxious about as mm-hmm. they come back to the office? So, you know, I think first and foremost, what we're going to be hearing is people being concerned about health and safety issues as they return to the workplace. So things like who is masked, who is not masked? Do we have masking policies? Um, does that protect me? Um, people are going to be concerned about procedures around things like social distancing, how many people come into the office at any given time, uh, vaccination policies, um, working with those that may not be vaccinated. Uh, I think people are going to be concerned also about life concerns because they're making a change back into the office environment. So we're back to thinking about things like scheduling childcare, uh, commuting, um, even social concerns like just having to interact with people again in person, uh, getting dressed to go to work, those kinds of things. So 
these are some things I think we're going to need to be aware of um, as we bring people back. Signs that somebody may be struggling could be things like changes in their job performance, you know, seeing a decrease in how effectively they do their jobs, uh, decrease in attendance, um, and certainly changes of level of engagement and focus for that employee are going to be something to really pay attention to. I'd also be paying attention if we had employees who were voicing concerns to coworkers and supervisors about their return to work issues, because that's really going to let us know there's something going on with that employee. Um, increases in irritability, um, changes in personality. Um, you know, this might be somebody who was previously pretty bubbly and outgoing, um, happy to be at work, and all of a sudden we're seeing somebody who's maybe withdrawn, um, not engaged with others, grumpy, easily, easily irritated, and also changes in appearance and grooming. You know, when people begin to disengage or have higher levels of psychological distress, we often see it manifested in that way. Those are all really good points. And I think, um, I think uh, keeping an eye out for those sorts of signs and symptoms is important. From the legal standpoint, we lawyers are often talking about the, the careful line almost like a tightrope walk that HR and legal professionals need to follow because first and foremost, we're concerned about the welfare of the employees, of course. Secondly, of course, we want them to be productive, efficient, good team members and so forth. And, uh, but third of all, we've got to be aware of legal parameters, California and federal law in particular, deal with issues regarding privacy and disability, perceived or actual. And so getting into sort of an armchair psychologist role, I think is a huge mistake for employers. I'm glad I have you on, on the podcast today to be an actual psychologist <laughs> instead of the armchair variety. But mm-hmm. I, think, well, I think a risk that employers face is that, that there might, might be a, a sort of a inclination to try to diagnose people. Oh, well, this person's depressed or this person has anxiety or post-traumatic stress syndrome and trying to put clinical labels on people, um, which of course is risky if if you're not a a trained expert, right? But it's also risky from legal compliance standpoint in that even perceiving someone to have a disability and then, then being accused of treating them differently because of that can give rise to disability discrimination claims, and and asking certain types of questions about people, even though it, even if it comes from a good place, from a, a, a place of concern and empathy, asking them the incorrect questions or too many questions about their condition could be seen as an invasion of privacy into their personal affairs or the medical condition. So from a legal standpoint, I think it's delicate. And the maybe the inclination from HR and legal professionals would be, I'd rather not even acknowledge it or talk about it or reach out to my employees just out of a fear of getting that part of it wrong. But I think there are things that uh, employers can do to help employees transition um, back to the workplace and get them the maybe the help that they might need if all is not going smoothly. So Sue, why don't we talk about that for a few minutes? What are you seeing employers doing or what do you think is a, a best practice? I think that's a great question. Those are great points. And I, as we transition people back, I think one of the first and most important things 
employers need to do is really acknowledge the impact. Um, this pandemic has had a significant impact uh, on our country. It's had a significant impact on our workforce and, and perhaps to varying degrees, depending on upon what people have experienced. But we need to we need to acknowledge that people are coming back to work different than when they left on March 15th. And some, um, some of you will have new hires that have been hired during the pandemic and only worked from home. So it will be important to look at how they will be introduced and integrated into their onsite work groups. Um, but what's gonna be really important as we acknowledge the impact is to really be checking in with everyone and especially those that might be manifesting the changes that I talked about or other things that might be of concern. And, and Chris, you brought up a really good point. We, we don't get into diagnosis um, ever, but what we can look for is what I call behavior changes. You know, if we see those changes in behavior, that is something we can inquire about and help from there if we know someone is struggling. Um, so it might be important for us to train our managers uh, on what to look for. You know, if we have an employee who's has these changes, is irritable, um, is showing up for work late, if their performance is declining, how do we ask if someone is doing okay and what resources do we have available to provide to them? I was going to say that. I think that's mm -hmm. a really good point. I think there might mm -hmm. be an inclination for some managers to, I don't know, the old saying, crack the whip, so to speak, is just to get immediately on someone who is exhibiting some unusual behaviors and you know focus purely on getting them immediately back up 100% to speed like it was before. And maybe there needs to be some more acknowledgement that you know, some people may need assistance in the transition process and, and maybe get, to get also be aware of some of the resources that, that you just mentioned. For example, an EAP plan. Um, how, how might that help a, an employee who's having a difficult time transitioning back into the office? Well, you know, many of our clients have uh, employee assistance or EAP programs, and these are programs that provide counseling as a part of their employment uh, with that particular organization that they work for. So often they have contracts with Blue Cross, Blue Shield or other providers. Um, and I've seen programs where people can get somewhere between three and 12 sessions of counseling that are covered by their benefit for working with that organization. So what they can provide is counseling. Many of them provide other kinds of services as well, like financial planning services, um, legal services. So what's really going to be important is for HR to take a look again at what those benefits are um, and to communicate the availability and how to access the EAP and communicate that really not only to employees, uh, but to managers and let them know that that is an option to refer employees to. It's also going to be really important to make sure that employees understand that EAPs are confidential. Um, so if they go and they're having some distress related to work, that would be a confidential visit uh, for that employee. It's really an excellent benefit. I think uh, maybe it's something historically that has been present, but maybe underutilized. And it might mm -hmm. be a great time for human resources department to revisit what services are available, maybe talk to the individuals who are providing the EAP service and understand in more detail what is available, especially um, in the current circumstances. And then like you suggest, I think it's a great idea not only just to keep that in the HR department, but to educate managers, supervisors, people out in the field about what resources are there and what's available in order to help funnel people into, into, into the program if, if the help is, is going to be needed and, and helpful. 
Absolutely. And, and I might add that I would also, as we communicate with managers about how to provide those resources, uh, to also let managers know that they should be consulting with HR if they have a concern about an employee, um, that it's not something they have to manage on their own if they feel like this is something that may be a little bit over their head. So I would encourage uh, that consultation with, with HR if they have a, a concern about a particular employee. So, Sue, I think you mentioned some a couple of great points. So number one is communicating with employees to, uh, I think, acknowledge what they have been through and to communicate with them about what's being done in the workplace to help them transition back and what is being done to keep them safe and all that. Obviously, being aware of the a program like EAP and, and referring to people, people to those programs when necessary. Um, what else should we consider in this context? So what about um, just as far as getting the team back in person and getting them to collaborate more, maybe perhaps than they have in the last year, what, what sort of efforts should managers and the human resources department be looking at to re-engage people? You know, I think it's going to be important. You know, we're going to bring people back and really be organizing around the business that we do, the projects that we do. But on a parallel track, I think we really need to look at how we're bringing people back from a cultural perspective. What kinds of things are we doing to welcome people back into the workplace? Um, if people are coming back into that office environment, can we schedule extra meetings? Could we schedule lunch together, happy hour together? Um, I think it's really going to be important, too, if we have people who are working in a hybrid model or we have people who remain at home. Uh, while they're doing their jobs, that we find ways to integrate them as well and not forget about them once we have everybody else back to the office. So really taking a look at what we're doing to keep everybody involved. And I, as I mentioned, too, you have new employees that maybe were hired during the pandemic and haven't even set foot in your offices. Yeah, you're meeting them for the first time, right? Sure, in person. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So we've seen them on Zoom, but we haven't uh, haven't had a chance to meet them in person. So they might kind of feel like they're the outsider in some sort of uh, employee clique if, if you know, everyone who's old right. friends gets back together and, the, and then all of a sudden there's this stranger in the midst. And maybe uh, we ought to be sensitive to that and make sure that they're integrated maybe take extra effort to make sure that they're integrated into the culture as well. Absolutely. I think it's such an excellent point. So it's really kind of taking a look at not only how are we doing our business, but how are we welcoming people back and integrating people back? And it's going to look different than it did in March of 2020. So how do we reestablish our groups and how we communicate um, and how we spend time together? That piece of your culture is going to be really important to take a look at and pay some attention to. Excellent point. Well, I see we're about out of time. Any closing comments you'd like to offer before we wrap it up? You know, I just would kind of finish by saying this. We're all learning this together. Um, we may make mistakes, and I would expect that. Um, but I would really encourage everybody to have patience, have grace. Um, I'd encourage employers to really over-communicate what policies and procedures and things you're going to have in place for your employees as they return. So just once won't do it. <laughs> just twice won't do it. Use multiple avenues to communicate and get feedback from your employees um, at this point, whether it's internet, employee meetings, um, a statement from your leadership, any kind of way that's commonly used to communicate with your employees. Um, this is really a situation where over-communication is the best way to go. 
I think that's a great point. And on the legal front, I think that goes a long way as well. We lawyers always want to see documentation. We want to see things in writing. We want to see communications, but written communications aren't enough. I think the personal touch of uh, meetings and verbal reminders to people is is key. And uh, you know, on the legal front as well, people have been through a lot of different scenarios. They've been maybe absent due to illnesses and so forth. And so as people come back into the workplace, uh, I think it's important to go the extra mile for them to avoid perceptions of discrimination or harassment or retaliation. And so the the concept of empathy and communication, I think, will go a long way on all fronts. But I think it'll also, uh, among other things, decrease legal claims. So, Sue, thanks so much for joining me today for the podcast. And uh, we're going to wrap things up. I hope we can come back and do another session soon. Me too. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.